You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm David Ignatius, a columnist for the Post. We're honored to be joined today by France's ambassador to Washington, Laurent Billy. We're going to talk about Ukraine, other issues around the world. Mr. Ambassador, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, uh, Mr. Ambassador, let's begin with the situation surrounding Ukraine. Last weekend uh, in Munich, where I was attending the security conference, the mood, frankly, was ominous uh, with the death of Alexei Navalny, the Russian capture of uh, Adivka in eastern Ukraine, and the fear that Republicans may block additional U.S. military assistance. Let's start with the death of uh, the courageous uh, dissident uh, Navalny. Does your government, does the French government believe that Navalny was murdered? And how do you think Vladimir Putin should be made to pay a price for this terrible tragedy? Well, um, France uh, has been asking for a full investigation on uh, the issue of the death of Navalny. We also some uh, the ambassador of uh, Russia to, um, to Paris. And uh, our ambassador, as you have, may have seen, was on uh, the Lubyanska Square on the Zolovsky Stone to pay tribute to uh, Navalny. It's a very shocking uh, death, and it reminds us that in two days, Russia, free spirit had sent to Gulag, or best case scenario, and to death. So I think it's a it's a t- terrible signal that we um, that we have to take into account when we think about the support that we are pr- providing to Ukraine. So, as you know, Ambassador, as we were about to come on air, uh, the White House uh, spokesman John Kirby announced that the U.S. will be formally uh, announcing new sanctions against Russia uh, related to Navalny's death on Friday. Uh, This obviously is very fresh news, but I want to ask you two things. Will France support this move by the Biden administration to impose sanctions? And is France planning any sanctions of its own uh, after Navalny's death? Well, I understand um, that we have to look at a strong reaction after the death of um, Mr. Alexei Navalny. Um, we have been uh, implementing already a huge uh, packet of uh, packs of, um, of sanctions. So I probably uh, we probably look on uh, on the matter to find for over ideas, but I'm, I'm not aware at the moment uh, or where we stand exactly. There is already some decision on, the, on that respect. But to, just to be to be clear, the, uh, France isn't currently planning any new sanctions to respond to Navalny's death. We may be uh, looking at it, but um, I'm just, uh, it's a very um, new uh, element, so I don't have uh, much to comment on the subject at the moment. But uh, I'm certainly sure that we are not excluding any uh, any possibility. All right. Let me t- turn, uh, Mr. Ambassador, to U- Ukraine. Uh, on, on Friday, before traveling to Munich, Ukrainian President Zelensky was in Paris to sign a bilateral agreement uh, with your president, Emmanuel Macron, uh, that will give Ukraine, uh, by news reports, 3 billion euro in additional military aid. Macron spoke of France moving to a, a war industry footing. 
give our audience uh, watching now a, a, a basic summary of what's included in your new agreement with Ukraine and why this will be significant, not just for France, but for Europe. Well, first of all, we have to recall to, to the audience that it's really additional. So it's it's in top of the 50 billion new package that the EU has decided. And it's really about French contribution directly because uh, the European Union contribution is uh, uh, basically around 18 percent from a French taxpayer. That new package will help to finance uh, special, uh, military devices like the one we have been providing in the past. Uh, which includes um, uh, artillery, Cesar system, uh, the scalp missiles, which have been quite uh, efficient on, um, in the theater, uh, some more training, uh, ammunitions, precise ammunitions. So there is a lot of, uh, of things. And, uh, but the main um, thing here is that we have that uh, uh, announce, which is dedicated to respond also on real time to um, uh, Ukrainian uh, demands. So we are we are not excluding anything on that package. It's uh, the finance that we have for next year, and um, it's retargeted really to answer to the Ukrainian needs. So let me focus on on how quickly this assistance can be delivered. How quickly more Cesars and other essential uh, weapons and ammunition can be in Ukrainian hands. Uh, listening last weekend to Zelensky and to Foreign Minister uh, Dmitro Kuleba, it sounded as if the need is urgent. Ukraine is running out of ammunition. Its troops uh, have to ration their, their artillery fire, and Ukraine's cities are close to being without air defense to protect the people in those cities in Kyiv and uh, Lviv. How quickly can this French military assistance get there? And are you trying to adopt special procedures to move it fast enough that it can make a difference now or in the coming weeks as Ukraine struggles with Russian advances? I think it's also important to uh, highlight that in the last two, year, um, two years, Europeans have changed. We are not uh, anymore coming from Venice. We have been speeding up and ramping up our defense industry. One of the key uh, artillery systems that we deliver to, um, to Ukraine, uh, the Cesar artillery, we have been able to cut by half the time of production. We have something like 60 more which are under production at the moment. We have been tripled uh, our production of ammunition. But at the same time, I wouldn't, give, I wouldn't like to give to the audience that uh, we can't do that we can do without uh, the support of the US because whatever our efforts are, the challenges are enormous, and it's not so easy to pass from uh, harvesting the dividend of peace to a, a war economy. And we need, we need time, and we really need the U.S. support at that very moment, because as you said, the situation on the ground is difficult. And if we want to um, help Ukraine, we have to do it now. We can't drag off it anymore. It's really the moment where allies have to be together and bring support to the Ukrainian now. And uh, Mr. Ambassador, let me ask you to, to take that a step further. The House of Representatives is considering uh, the supplemental military aid request. Uh, everyone says that there ought to be 300 votes to pass it uh, if 
it can get to the floor. What's the message that you, as the ambassador of France, the representative of one of our key allies, would send to Republican members of Congress who may be opposing this package uh, to try to convince them to, to take action? I think, first of all, we have to um, recall again that it's not a regional issue, it's not a European issue, it's a challenge of our generation. There is no scenario in that war where Russian win and the US don't lose. That's, I think, very key. It's about also the legacy of the greatest generation. We have been living in 70, 75 years of peace, thanks to the rule-based international order, thanks to NATO, and it's a legacy that we have to, um, to protect. And that's protecting that legacy today. It's supporting Ukraine, which is fighting, who is fighting for our, our values, who will struggle for their freedom. And whatever the efforts that we are doing are, at the end of the day, the ones who are fighting for us, for our values, which are risking their lives and sometimes paying the price of their life, that's the Ukrainian soldiers, that's the Ukrainian population, which are bound also by uh, outrageous um, attack to the civilian population by the Russian forces. So let me ask a, a blunt uh, question. You spoke earlier of France's new uh, bilateral commitment to Ukraine of an additional 3 billion euros and the things you're doing to move as quickly as you can. But honestly, if the United States does not join in this effort with additional military aid, is it going to be possible for Ukraine to continue and, and to, to, to survive in this war against Russian attacks? What do you think? I would prefer not to consider uh, that alternative. Uh, I think um, the Ukrainians need our helps. They are fighting courageously. Two years ago, very few observers will have uh, guessed that we will be still uh, where we are today, with uh, some of the strategic defeat of, uh, of Russia, with um, not able to take Kiev, with uh, Sweden and um, Finland joining NATO. So we have now to, uh, to, to finish the job after two years and help Ukraine to stand. And um, it requires absolutely, there is no alternative to that uh, US support. Sometimes I hear that um, we, um, we if it's so important for the European, we should empty our coffin. We are emptying our coffin. Uh, we are doing a lot. But uh, at the same time, we know also our limits. Uh, but the difference also for, for us is that um, we are really also contributing to the, indirectly to, I'll say, to the U.S. economy because uh, like uh, what we call the peace facility from uh, the European Union, 60% um, of what we give to Ukraine via that facility is going back to the U.S. So it's, we are also in a different position. The only industrial uh, military base which is able to deliver at the speed at uh, the level that it's needed, it's uh, the U.S. one, but it's also a kind of contribution to U.S. economy. So, uh, Mr. Ambassador, returning to the uh, details of, of, of French and other European assistance to Ukraine, after uh, President Zelensky visited uh, Paris, he went on to Germany to see uh, Prime Minister Schultz and, and made a similar bilateral agreement with with Germany. Zelensky spoke of those two agreements 
I'm quoting here, is a new security architecture for Ukraine and new opportunities. These uh, additional uh, efforts uh, come on top of uh, the extensive European Union financial support for Ukraine that you spoke of earlier, the 50 billion euros, uh, and uh, there's discussion of, of these um, new efforts as being uh, uh, in effect so long as Ukraine is not part of NATO. So the, the question that I want to raise with you is, given the level of European support uh, to Ukraine, both economically and militarily, and given how crucial Ukraine is to the future of Europe, why not move quickly to make Ukraine part of the European Union and part of NATO? Well, first of all, um, when I spoke about the 50 billion um, euros, it was a new package, but um, the total that we have been spending already uh, before the 50 billion is 100 billion. So it's a, a real important country, uh, contribution that uh, Europe has been uh, spending, and it's, it's more than, than the US. On the question of uh, enlargement to, to NATO and to, um, and to the EU, on the EU, we have taken the decision to start uh, the negotiation, and I think it was a very clear and positive message that we stand by Ukraine and we don't see another future for Ukraine that be part of the European family, that the European Union family. The NATO enlargement is a bit uh, more tricky. We are, we are in favor of uh, uh, um, Ukraine joining NATO, but it's, it poses some real questions to have a new member when uh, the war is uh, still going on. And also it's a kind of a question about the message that we send. Uh, Russia has been very good at um, selling to the so-called Global South that um, the expansion of NATO was the real uh, reason of the war, and in fact, uh, Russia was having a defensive war. So somehow, uh, we are fueling, we will be fueling that narrative if we were uh, going in that direction. But I have no doubt that uh, anyway, we, history is clear, and um, Ukraine will be uh, part of NATO. So I just want to underline that, that however long it takes, as you, as you look at this, as your government in Paris looks at this, Ukraine will someday be a member of the European Union and will someday be a member of NATO. Is that is that a fair statement? Certainly. The world has changed uh, two years ago. That was that's an also uh, another strategic defeat uh, for, from uh, Russia that uh, to misread or or determination. And uh, I don't see uh, a future for Ukraine which is not being part of European Union. Another theme that was prominent uh, at last weekend's security conference in Munich uh, was what I would describe as an effort to protect uh, the transatlantic alliance and to protect Europe from the possibility that uh, Donald Trump, who has expressed great skepticism about uh, NATO, uh, has threatened that he would support attacks on NATO countries that didn't pay enough money for their defense to, to, to in effect, Trump-proof the alliance. Uh, I, I want to pose this in, in a question that was sent to us by a, a member of our audience, uh, David in Maryland, and he asked it this way, if Trump wins the next election and pulls out of NATO, 
Will NATO remain strong enough to carry on until the next U.S. election, when presumably another president would, might try to get back in NATO? What do you think? Well, uh, there is two levels of, uh, of answer to the question. There is some uh, legal issue about the ability of uh, one president to go out of NATO. And, um, um, and then there is a political question about the impact, more generally, of uh, a NATO without uh, the, the U.S. Um, on the first one, you know better than me that there is some, uh, some uh, guardrails. Uh, on the second one, I think we have to uh, face the reality that NATO, it's about North America and um, Europe going together because history teaches us that together we are stronger, we protected peace for 75 years, and the issue is do we want to continue that? If uh, the US was not part of, uh, of the NATO, I don't see how NATO could survive the blow, but as Europeans, we will have to to continue to fight for our for defense. But um, again, I I think there is a, a real reason why 75 years ago Europeans and Americans, North Americans, decided to join force within NATO. It has been very effective and we should preserve that, um, that legacy. Let me ask a, a, a more uh, direct question. Uh, do you think that France uh, and other European nations, but I want to ask about France, needs to prepare, however much it may hope that the United States remains a solid partner, prepare for the possibility that the United States might leave NATO, might end its transatlantic alliance as we've known it since 1945. Sh should, should, should France be preparing for that awful possibility, do you think? I think the real uh, change of these uh, last years is the uh, Russian attack on Ukraine. We were living in a peaceful continent. Two years ago, we discovered an uh, a war, a traditional war in Europe was possible. So since then, I think all countries in Europe, the one on the first line, but also countries like France, like uh, Germany, has been uh, thinking and preparing that the possibility that a general war could be possible. And we have been uh, uh, raising our military spending. We have been ramping up our, our industrial base. And that's a real challenge. It's, it's really what is a trigger for us. We, we know that we are living in a much more uh, dangerous world than before. But at the same time, we should also enlarge the scope because um, the world is not um, just on, um, on Ukraine. And I think um, the world is uh, back on a moment of competition be, uh, between uh, powers. And uh, the rule-based order, rule-based international order that we built is under uh, threat. And so we, we, we have to see at the global picture and not to think that uh, if we look at Ukraine as a regional issue, it doesn't have an impact. It doesn't send a, a message somewhere else, somewhere else in the world. Let me ask one more question that's come from our audience. Um, uh, this is uh, uh, Stephen in, in Connecticut who asks, what effect, if any, do you see the increased strength of the far right in France having on the future willingness of France to contribute substantially to the defense of Ukraine's sovereignty 
and territorial integrity. What about that? Is, is French right-wing pressure uh, posing a threat similar to what we see in the United States with Donald Trump? Um, so far, the far right has been, uh, with nuances, uh, more supportive of uh, Ukraine. They had to uh, distance a bit themselves with the support that they receive at certain moment uh, from uh, Russia. Um, we are having uh, an electoral system which uh, is more in favor of uh, the majority vote. Uh, because we have a two-term elections for uh, the member of uh, chamber of representative, uh, so I don't I don't see in the possible future an impact on uh, uh, the race of uh, one party or another in France changing uh, that understanding that we are living in a very dangerous moment that uh, Russia is becoming a threat and by the way we live that also very directly because uh, we have. Uh, challenge on our democracy. There is uh, something that we call uh, portal combat that we identified with uh, 193 uh, internet, internet uh, sites providing uh, fake news, uh, attacking uh, our political personnel. Um, and we, we observe that in many places of the world where also Russia is a spoiler of the international order. So I don't think there is much doubt in the public uh, opinion in France that uh, Russia is today a threat to our democracy. So, Ambassador, let me turn away from Ukraine uh, to another area that you know a lot about. Before coming to Washington, you were France's ambassador to China uh, and are one of the real experts in Washington on, on, on China. Many analysts uh, see China now in a period that's often described as malaise. Uh, the economy slowing in its growth, the population uh, frustrated uh, with uh, the government, um, uh, even members of, of, the, of the party, mid-level bureaucrats saying to visitors uh, who tell people like me uh, how frustrated they are with the policies of President Xi Jinping. You know China better than uh, most people. What do you see going on? Do you think there's this this problem of malaise developing now? There is um, something like uh, a malaise going on, and uh, the growth is uh, smaller, and uh, there is still the legacy also of uh, the zero-COVID policy, which has been very unpopular in some cities like uh, Shanghai, certainly, uh, after the strong confinement in Beijing as well. But we also have to be cautious of uh, what we feel in big cities and among uh, elites that we meet and um, let's say uh, tier two, three cities which enjoy uh, in the last years a growing um, still a better quality of living. And also uh, the fact that um, under um, Xi Jinping and thanks to uh, um, new technology, the capacity or the ability of control of the population is much stronger than it, that, it, that it used to be. So, um, yes, it's certainly a moment, uh, a difficult moment for China, but um, it's not necessarily translating to um, something in terms of political challenge to the authority of President Xi Jinping. So, another thing analysts uh, worry about is that as China's economy slows, President uh, Xi Jinping may be tempted to play 
what we would call the nationalism card to rally the country behind him. And specifically, people worry that he might seek to reunify Taiwan uh, with China using military force. I want to ask you two things. First, uh, as a former ambassador expert on China, what do you think is the likelihood that, that Xi uh, would use military force during his time as president uh, to, to reunify? And, and second, what would France do if Taiwan was invaded by the PRC? I think uh, nationalism is really uh, the core and maybe uh, the only uh, ideology of uh, today's uh, China. And uh, so using the, the nationalistic uh, card is not necessarily something uh, very new. It's, uh, it's something that has been there for decades, but even more since uh, the opening of the, the economy. It's really uh, what uh, sticks the country together is that idea of nationalism. The nationalism encompasses uh, the question of Taiwan and the unity of China. And uh, so it's, I think we have to be clear that uh, there is no um, way that China is going to uh, forget about his uh, willingness to recreate the complete unity of, uh, of China um, and Taiwan being the last part uh, separated from uh, the motherland. So we, if we have to be realistic, what we, the best that we can uh, achieve is to preserve the statu quo. And uh, that's where France is concentrating uh, also um, its uh, export and messaging uh, toward um, um, President Xi Jinping or not to change the statu quo by force um, and to, to refrain to fuel, uh, to fuel the tension. And um, I think, uh, the best that we can do uh, is really to avoid uh, whatever we can to fuel tension in, in the Straits. Regarding um, France's position, we have, we have been very clear that we are, so on, on our wish to preserve the statu quo, we have uh, a frigate which is also uh, passing in the Strait to show our, um, our um, support to the freedom of navigation. And um, we, we are, we are come on, determined to, to continue to play our, our partition to make sure that um, the scenario that you have been mentioning is not uh, happening. So let me, let me turn to the relationship between France and the United States. Uh, in, in 2021, the AUKUS deal, so-called agreement uh, for the US, Australia and Britain to work together on nuclear submarines uh, excluding France, which had been building submarines for Australia, rocked the relationship. I mean, that's putting it mildly. Has the wound of AUKUS healed now so that the relationship between Washington and Paris is where it should be, or are there still tensions? It has been um, some time already. Uh, it was a wound, as you, as you mentioned. Um, I think um, there is a lot of things for uh, historians to, um, to study um, about um, all the mechanism in, uh, in the years to come. But um, there were, after that, um, the invitation of our president for a state visit in, um, in, uh, in Washington in November, December. 
and our, our leaders decided that it was uh, time to turn the page and uh, look at the future. Um, and, uh, and the future is, uh, is also a common challenge that we, that we have, uh, which is Ukraine, which uh, stick also, which should stick allies together because uh, we really need uh, to work together. And uh, so I, I think it's, uh, yes, it's largely now in, uh, in, in the past. And um, France in, uh, is really uh, determined to, to work in, um, for the long term of a relation. We have been uh, allied for something like uh, 250 years and um, ready to add uh, a new uh, century or two to that. So last question, we have less than a minute. What additional areas of U.S.-French cooperation beyond Ukraine would you like to see as ambassador? Well, in, in the state visit, we had uh, opened two um, very important subjects, which are space cooperation and uh, nuclear. And on space cooperation, there is a lot of things going on which are very promising, and uh, I hope that we will uh, continue and uh, achieve some results in these fields. So I want to thank uh, Ambassador Laurent Billy, the Ambassador of France to Washington, for joining us today. Thank, thank you, Mr. Ambassador. Thanks a lot. So thanks to all of you for joining us for this discussion of, of security issues, especially in Ukraine. For more conversations, uh, please sign up for the Washington Post subscription. You can get a free trial by visiting wapo.st backslash live. Um, to get the uh, uh, opportunity to, to watch more of these programs. Uh, I'm David Ignatius, uh, columnist for The Post. Thank you again for watching. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.